Hello, and welcome to the special Denver edition of the Low Key Podcast, episode 40. This episode is sponsored by Justin's. Justin's creates a nut butter that's naturally delicious with flavors like chocolate, vanilla, maple, and honey. And if you have a sweet tooth, go try their peanut butter cups, which come in dark chocolate and white chocolate. So go to Justin's and get a tasty treat. Now, without further ado, Mark Mann with Huckleberry Coffee Roasters. It's nice, it's easy, it's low-key. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome to the Low Key Podcast. I'm here with Mark Mann of Huckleberry Coffee Roasters. How you doing, man? Good, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. Not too bad. I mean, I'm enjoying the weather. I love it. I just came from a bunch of tornadoes and like vicious weather, and I've heard you guys had quite a bit of weather here too. Yeah, yeah. We had a, a crazy storm blow through on Monday, and it's like driving around on Tuesday, Wednesday, and there's like all these windshields basically smashed back windows smashed my buddy his house windows got smashed it was crazy uh just an insane hailstorm that came through but it's beautiful today yeah it's sunny and 80 and yeah at least i could wear my t-shirt and not have to be like um putting a, a bunch of like weather gear on right now right so. yeah because, you know, it snows in Denver, obviously, and right. stuff like that. For sure. So, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, that's one of the greatest things about Denver is that a, a lot of people think it's cold and snowy all the time, but it's actually one of the, the, if not one, like, one of the top sunniest places in Colorado. It's sunnier than San Diego out here. Really? So we get over 300 days of sunshine. Nice. And the winters are super mild, and it's like, don't tell a whole lot of people because... A lot of people still think it's cold and snowy constantly, <laughs> and it's a it's a it's a fun little secret. So yeah, I, f- I feel like somebody told me that um, they don't want to tell people how nice it is because they don't want more people moving in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's yeah, it's 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 never never ending the the amount of new people that move here. You know, the amount amount of new people that move here to work for Huckleberry or just come out here and like the outdoor life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's insane. It's great, but it's you know it's become the new norm. Whereas before it was like a little bit weird to have so many new people moving here, but now it yeah. it's just it is what it is, and all the new people are providing a lot more. It just kind of continues to be uh, a fun place to be because there's just constant excitement for the city and the state and all the new stuff we have going on. So it's really great. That's awesome. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about like. What started you into getting into coffee and then a little bit of the this, this start of, of Huckleberry? Sure. Uh, so Huckleberry was started by myself and Cone Goodman uh, in 2011. Uh, we were both baristas out of college. We both went to college here in Colorado. So immediately post-graduating, um, we got barista jobs. I started at this small little company called Starbucks. Okay. Um, got my <laughs> got my start in coffee there like, like a good good many people do um and you know nobody denies that starbucks does something very very well and i learned cut my chops on customer service and speed and efficiency and systems and things like that there 
Um, we both worked at a shop in town together. He ended up being the manager at that store. Uh, I moved to New York, and um, during that move to New York, uh, we were kind of talking about starting our own roasting company okay. um, because the company we had worked for roasted, but we never got to see that side of things. We were, were always just delivered bags of roasted coffee, and we were mm-hmm. our, always kind of unable to see, you know, the man behind the curtain, you know, in a lot of aspects. Um, So the company was kind of founded out of curiosity and Mm -hmm. uh, just uh, a mutual appreciation for uh, entrepreneurship and uh, tinkering, really. So we we took out a a small loan, uh, bought a used roaster out in California, drove out, did an epic road trip to go pick up the roaster. Yeah, that's always fun. Drove it back to Colorado, uh, you know, stopped over in Vegas because why not? It's Vegas. <laughs> it's great. Uh, um, and brought it back and in February of 2011, just started tinkering. You know, it'd be like a Sunday night ritual that we'd get together, hang out, drink beers, do one or two roasts, and then, you know, try to give the coffee away. It was probably something around like four or five pounds of total roasted coffee, and it wasn't wow. good at that point. Yeah. And uh, surprisingly enough, we had a hard time trying to find people to drink it because it was bad. But then it got better, and then more people wanted it, and more people saw that we were doing something different than than what they typically had access to. Um, So we started giving it to friends, family members, and we started doing a little bike delivery service. Um, That grew. We grew. We had to, surprisingly enough, move move out of Cohen's shed. So we were in his shed in his backyard next to the chickens. And we moved to a tiny warehouse just down the street at 20, uh, 28th and Larimer, right next to OMF. What differences do you see from when you started to now? Like as an entrepreneur or just as a coffee person? Um, well, I don't roast anymore, which is a big difference. So I stopped roasting in 2015, I think it was. Um, that was just out of necessity. Like, uh, you know, the, one of the, the biggest difference that I was going to hit on is... is is that it all feels fairly similar, but it's just larger in scale. So yeah. instead of just having you know four barista staff or four staff total for that matter, uh, in the the earlier days of 2012, 2013, now we have you know combined between various retail outlets and warehouse, we have upwards of 25 people. So you know the 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 woes are there, the you know the excitement is there, and the the successes are there, but they're just magnified by, um, a certain power of four or five at this point. Um, that being said, I mean, you know, growth, it has, has its challenges, but at the same time, I find, I personally find it most exciting to figure out how to grow in a smart way, how to grow in a sustainable way, how to encourage our staff to, to lead a healthy, productive, Mm fulfilling life outside of just working their ass off and um, you know grinding it out which they do but you know in a lot of ways we encourage folks to take the take some time off if they need it and you know be happy healthy because then they come back to their jobs and you know can offer a lot more rather than you know being strung out and tired (laughs) and sleepy all the time and not really any use to us as yeah uh, as a staff um, the coffee's gotten a hell of a lot better uh, from the early days to now. Kevin, our, our green coffee buyer, is just a wizard. Um, mm. We kind of demand a lot from him 
we ask him to do kind of the impossible and time and time again he continues to do it That's you awesome. know as we push as our sort of roles as business owners is to push and grow you know kevin's kind of in the corner screaming because he might not have enough coffee but at the same time his ideal world is that he's just buying an like an insane amount of green coffee and exciting coffees and more we grow the more he gets access to better coffees um and can go down and actually you know hang out with the farmers and yeah uh, see what's happening in country more and more you know making more more bringing in more revenue affords us the opportunity to 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 do a lot of the things that that we wanted to do from the beginning but just didn't have access to capital or just the you know profit or something like that to to do it yeah that's really cool that 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 mindset of like like for for your for your workers and employees and stuff it's a really cool mindset to have because if we are if if your employees are exhausted and stuff they're not going to work for you as well as they would and and perfection's not going to go as well as you want to i think that's a really cool mindset to have and and also speaking of challenges what 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 was the biggest struggle or challenge you had in building up huckleberry um uh that one is that one's tricky uh because i feel like it's just everything (laughs) but that's not a great answer (laughs) um cash flow continues to be one of those things that that i don't understand and that a lot of my uh my good friends and similar sized business owners you know struggle with as well um i think a lot of us understand you know, how to roast coffee, how to ship coffee, how to package coffee, how to hire good people. Um, but it's like how how to manage cash is one of those things that I'm currently very stuck on, which is not sexy or a cool <laughs> answer at all. <laughs> but it's one of those things that uh, that is vital to, to a business succeeding. Um, so I'm spending time learning how to, how to do that better. Yeah. Um, and, and outside of that, I think growth... And growing smart, uh, and you know, you can you can grow for growth's sakes, but growing intentionally, with a goal or a vision in mind, is a lot harder. And I find mm-hmm. that a lot of business owners have challenges with that, as well as you know, I I have my own challenges with that. Yeah. So, I feel like most of the coffee roasters that I've dealt with, it's mainly the business side that they struggle with a lot. Mm-hmm. Would you would you agree about that? Oh yeah, and I think I think in a lot of ways that's sort of business owners in this space in general, kind of in the craft quote unquote craft maker space. You know, you get into it because you're passionate about something, but if you are unrealistic about what you're getting yourself into and don't realize that you're actually just starting a business, then you're going to be kind of blindsided by, by the types of responsibilities that eventually you'll have to do. You know, I have a really good friend Nick who owns a, a brewing company in town. And, you know, he doesn't spend any time brewing anymore, but he has to, you know, he focuses all on the business. I have yeah. another friend, Steven, who, you know, he doesn't really print shirts anymore. And, he, you know, the reasons why we all kind of started these things have changed and no longer are we directly attached to the kind of the making of the thing that is the focus and the passion of our business. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me in particular, I'm... I'm finding that I'm very passionate about the business side and sort of the running of a business and the growing yeah. of the business. So it's nice to kind of have this new, newly found passion 
within Huckleberry, you know, it started with one thing, it was the coffee, and now it's kind of becoming this other thing, running a smart business mm. with a really healthy staff and growing in, in, a, in a smart, not growth for growth sake sort of way. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. So what, what, what would you say if there's, there's, there's any, um, if there's any like roasters that have inspired you or there's a coffee shop that still continually inspires you? Yeah. Um, the, the shop where Cohen and I worked, um, was in Denver and, um, that continues to, to remain to be the original inspiration for the company. Um, it was a small little community coffee shop, um, you know, in Denver, surrounded by a whole bunch of just houses, and it continued to be a community meeting space for that neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, and really, it's where a lot of, you know, I met a lot of my original good friends here in town. Yeah. You know, the staff was really tight, and when we started Huckleberry, our, our goal was to kind of mirror that in a lot of ways with our first shop, so the flagship up at Pecos, 4301 Pecos. You know, we wanted the staff to want to be really careful about who we selected for the staff because we knew that, you know, a staff that hangs out after work, you know, you work all day with the people and then you go out and get drinks is is what we wanted. You know, we wanted people Mm -hmm. that enjoyed working with each other and being around each other. And we wanted the space to be almost a community center for that neighborhood. So we, we spent the better part of a year and a half finding the perfect location for us to kind of grow with a neighborhood, yeah. kind of be babies with, you know, uh, a baby neighbor. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and yeah, recently I've gotten some g- great feedback from, from folks that just really do now consider it uh, a community space and a, awesome. a spot to be meeting. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, a mom pushing a stroller because she just needs to get out of the house and get a nice vanilla latte or something like that. Mm. And that's her, or his, you know, if it's a dad and staying home as well, um, you know, one chance to get out of the house and kind of get, you know, be around people and, and, and interact with our staff and kind of, you know, almost be that sort of, I, yeah, I don't want to use the word like counseling session, but in a lot of ways, you know, just somebody to talk to and somebody mm-hmm. who asks how they're doing and how the baby's doing and stuff like that. It's It's really special and really fun to be a part of something yeah. that intimate and that close so that's awesome i i love like I, I think one thing i'm starting to love more and more about the coffee community is mm-hmm. and, and hearing about like these owners like you and like all these owners talk about is just like the way they want to cultivate their community and just be present instead of yep. yeah i want to i i understand that you want to grow and stuff and and grow and make the business bigger but mm-hmm. i i think it's cool the idea that you're trying to create a community trying to create the safe space for for people just to come in and, yeah. and hang out and um, just connect right and I think that's awesome yeah and I think in a lot of ways that you know permeates the other things we do it doesn't necessarily have to live at a coffee shop it can be you know the, the the copy we use on a coffee bag you know it can be the way that we post on Instagram in a very sort of micro or nano sort of way so Cone and I obsess kind of in a marketing way about how we translate the original mission behind starting a place that would be a community center Mm -hmm. and making people really quite frankly feel welcome enough to bring a a small bag of coffee into their home because that's a very intimate space I don't let just anybody you know into my home you know but there's a lot of people who have chosen to let you know Huckleberry in through their door 
in you know in a cheesy product producty sort of way <laughs> and we don't use that as like a sales pitch or anything like that yeah. that'd be a, a really creepy funny april foolsy <laughs> marketing thing to do <laughs> like knock knock it's huckleberry <laughs> can we come in <laughs> that's awesome uh yeah i don't i don't know i th- I, I think our, our i had a conversation with somebody this morning about like you know, I'm realizing that when you start a company, a lot of times your original intention feels like it gets lost, but then sometimes it, it crops back up and you're like, oh yeah, that like still permeates this company and that still is part of the original goal from when we started. And another part of what we do that, that we really love um, and try really hard to continue to reinforce is the fact that, you know, we we are an approachable coffee company. We don't have any interest in being highly snobby and highly uh we do get snobby but but highly openly snob snobby so much so that it pushes somebody away because in so many ways we have folks that approach a bag of our coffee on the shelf somewhere outside of our cafe or they come into our cafe and they might not have the experience that you know a lot of us have in specialty coffee and they say well i've been drinking Folgers my entire life and I'm curious about this new coffee roasting thing that you've got going on and could you imagine if we were like oh that's cool you're not going to like anything we do um yeah you'll yeah, yeah. you basically have nothing to do <laughs> do with this space you know how unattractive is that as a company as a business or just kind of as a general life model you know mm-hmm. like we ask people to kind of meet us where they're at and then we ask our baristas to really you know, go above and beyond to, to figure out how to grab that person who drinks folders their entire life and, and might be like, oh, wow, your Blue Orchid blend has a lot of chocolatey notes. That's what I like about coffee. Yeah. I don't like those fruity notes, but I like the chocolatey notes. Okay, cool. Here's the bag for you. They take it home. Mm-hmm. They brew it, and they're like, this is the best cup of coffee I've ever had. Their entire coffee drinking experience has changed. And I think everybody seems to have, like, the moment story, like the moment when they're... yeah coffee journey really changed from something that's more of a commodity that you don't even think about you know it's a diff- it's the same as drinking like Budweiser your entire life and you're like what's this craft beer thing oh wow I love craft yeah. beer and now, you, now you're getting really into craft beer nothing wrong with Budweiser but <laughs> I understand it's not that exciting <laughs> yeah. yeah there's not a lot of there's not uh, a lot of tasting notes right um what would you say uh your is it is it is it different than you anticipated to be working at a roastery? You know, I, I would say uh, it, it is very different uh, than I had anticipated. Um, but in a lot of ways, I don't think I really anticipated all that much. Like, yeah. every step of the way has been incremental. Like, I don't think we ever really started Huckleberry and thought, wow, we'd be in a 5,000-square-foot warehouse space, um, you know, currently roasting on a 30-pound roaster. I never like had had that vision, yeah. but we had kind of laid the vision out um, intentionally a little bit open-ended, but, but at least we had sort of pillars in place where we wouldn't compromise on when we had to make those decisions as far as growth goes. Mm-hmm. You know, we go back to those sort of core components to why we started it, and does it kind of go, does it go against the reasoning for why we started it, or is it in, in line with, with the reason why we started it? Um, I, I foolishly, bef- before we opened our first retail spot in 2013, had kind of, I had, I'm the kind of person who like thinks ahead, plans ahead, 
is always on time, like is very regimented and logistical minded, logistically minded. Um, I had ne- I hadn't even thought about managing people before we started Huckleberry. Mm-hmm. Like I always just in my mind, the picture was always just Cohen and I. That's a business, and then we'd have cafes, and then there was never a connection point to me. It was like, oh wow, we're gonna have a staff, and staff is gonna be a lot of energy. I'm not gonna say good or bad energy, but at times it can be good and bad. Um, but just a lot, a lot of an energy and time commitment mm-hmm. that I had underestimated, mm-hmm. and when that shift happened it was probably the better part of a year and a half of struggle for me and being a business owner but I think we've gotten really good at attracting awesome really really rad people and I'm so fortunate and don't want it to like ever end I want people to like always want to work for Huckleberry yeah um, because I feel like that's pretty unique for any company maybe I don't Mm. yeah but I'm glad it's not this... I'm glad it didn't continue to just be uh, uh, something that I dreaded doing or hadn't really anticipated doing, and now it's something that excites me, and I love seeing all these people doing crazy stuff that I sometimes have no idea what they're doing, but then they do <laughs> something, and you're like, wow, you did that? Whoa, yeah. crazy. That's amazing. That's so. awesome. That, that's really cool that um, I, I think I I enjoy it when when companies have people that constantly want them to work for them. Mm-hmm. So, and I think it's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's amazing to me. What What do you feel is the most effective method of brewing that you think that brings out the truest form of coffee? Um, I think espresso still remains to be one of those things that is finicky and it's it's you know the sports sports car of the coffee world mm-hmm. um you can make very small modifications and they can have very big impacts because you're just compressing a whole lot of coffee throwing it in pressure and kind of seeing what happens and if something's off it's going to be off off and you're going to be like really aware of the fact that something's not tasting right mm-hmm. so it to a lot of in, to a lot of degrees requires a skilled hand and I, I still mm. I still like like that aspect of being in the coffee community and um, seeing people go from knowing nothing about an espresso machine or how to pull espresso and going from a place where they can you know cruise through a line of you know 10 people in 10 minutes and make yeah. great espresso that being said I, I think drip is still one of those things that you know, if done right, can yield a tasty cup in a very small amount of time to a lot of different people. So it's kind of the opposite of espresso. Okay. You know, you can produce a gallon of coffee in four minutes and, mm-hmm. you know, give 10 to 15 different people cups of coffee and they all potentially taste really good depending yeah. on what, you know, what you're using. So, yeah, I, I, I had, I had some drip at, or I think it's, is drip drip and batch are they different or no i wasn't i mean okay. i was thinking yeah. batch coffee yeah I, yeah because um because i had some at bear coast and i thought it was phenomenal okay so i i i i enjoyed it and i think it's easier for i think for coffee shops to do that instead mm-hmm. of like pour overs that take three or four minutes. Oh yeah but well you think about it it's i mean a very similar time commitment with a lot of times a worse yield i feel like it takes a a highly skilled and dialed in barista to to make a better cup of like pour over coffee 
than a, a 100% automatic Fetco or Curtis Brewer, you know? Yeah. Those things are basically just super big pour-overs, <laughs> <laughs> if done right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think, I mean, the, the beauty of coffee is, you know, there's a million and one different ways to brew it, including just, you know, cowboy or like campfire coffee, you know, where it's just mm. thrown into a vat of boiling water and then like filtered through a handkerchief or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think with the right equipment and the, the right coffee, obviously, you know, there are a lot of different ways to produce really, really good cups of coffee mm-hmm. and there's constantly new brewing devices that people are inventing which yeah which is crazy which is crazy yeah, yeah. there's always a new one i feel like coming out i know every week i'm just like what's going on yeah did, were you at sea no okay. i didn't go there did cool. you i did not <laughs> yeah i had a sick cat but we had four uh four of our staff went out there i was supposed to go out but i had a sick cat yeah he was in the hospital so yeah it looked fun i mean yeah. i saw all the instagram yeah you stories. should definitely yeah. check it out next yeah. year next year i do want to check it out and I, I thought the Roaster Village looked really cool and, mm-hmm. and all those things. So yeah, but yeah. It is coffee mecca for yeah. for that weekend. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I saw so many stories. Yep. <laughs> Definitely. Um, do you do you have a favorite brew method or flavor profile? You know it. Uh, I don't. I would say I. I probably prefer batch coffee, and. That is also a very unsexy answer, but I but I also think batch coffee can be really tasty. Um, and what coffee is being brewed with, whether it's a, you know, super approachable Colombian coffee or a natural Ethiopia fruit fruit bomb, mm. um, it kind of depends on on the season. In a lot of ways, they go through sort of ebbs and flows. Um, there was a while where I feel like a whole general tide of the community was against like the natural flavors mm. um but there was a time before that where everybody was like nerding out like crazy yeah. about the fruity natural coffees and i feel like it's kind of swinging back a little bit um interesting and it, yeah i mean i might wake up in the morning and be like oh i want something a little more on the fruity berry side of, side of things and that's just a, a preference that changes for me yeah um yeah yeah, I won't. Yeah, I. But I am picky about sort of roast profile. I can't drink anything super dark, okay. but. But for the most part, I'm not too picky yeah. about the coffee <laughs> I'm drinking. Um, what what separates your coffees from other coffees? That's a good question. Um, I think, I think in a lot of ways, we're finding out that similar to craft beer maybe you get to a certain point where everybody or not everybody but a certain group of people are doing something really great um that people enjoy drinking and and the flavors are all kind of in the same similar vicinity Mm -hmm. but i feel like what we found out is people latch on to the story behind the company the why you're doing something a specific way. Um, And some of those, like, do-good initiatives are are the the types of things that people want to find out about and really latch on to. So, um, you know, there might be a group of five people doing fairly similar things in the roasting community Mm -hmm. with similar-ish coffees, but 
people like to know the story, so we're trying to become better storytellers, mm. you know, and tell our story, which has now become a bigger story. It's not just Cohen and I anymore. It's yeah. it's the story of, of Huckleberry, which includes a, a whole lot of people now, 25-ish people, which is yeah. a lot. Um, yeah, I, I mean, outside of branding and storytelling and marketing and stuff like that, um, you know, we, we also try to to kind of go back to the reasoning behind forming the company and what kind of coffee drinkers we want to attract. We always wanted to have a lineup that had something for the more coffee nerd type people who mm. want to, you know, know what elevation a certain coffee was grown at, want to know, um, you know, you know, the density of the bean or something crazy like that. And yeah. then they go to a, you know, a pour over device that they have set up and they get really specific about it. We, we, we like to have coffees that, that people like that get into, but we also like to have coffees in our lineup that, you know, my grandpa would like to drink, you know, the, the more approachable, um, it just tastes like coffee, damn it type coffees, you know, (laughs) like I want to wake up, I want to sip on my coffee. I want it to be great, but I don't really want to have like a whole lot of thoughts behind the coffee. I want it to taste good. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well um, and and I think I think maybe that sets us apart a little bit, and that's why people have latched on to our coffee that's over awesome. others. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> what now? This is a this is a big question. Um, something to chew on. Yep. What what do you feel is your greatest contribution to the coffee world? My hope for what we eventually do contribute is is a coffee company that is encouraged by the current sort of um, generational workforce and really knows how to engage those, you know, folks like millennials. I think you, you know, if you're, you know, if you have anyone over the age of 35 or 40, generally when people refer to millennials, it's in a negative connotation. I don't know if that's an experience you've had. Um, but, um, I, 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 we get really excited about those people and, and learning more about, you know, employing a generation that I, a lot of my, you know, older peers and and things like that still have no clue how to even interact, let alone employ somebody 35 and under. Mm. Um, and I've been to groups where it's just a whole bunch of older dudes sitting around talking about how they can't keep millennial generation folks on staff they have no idea like what they value and i'm obsessed with the idea of figuring out how to make how to engage with that generation in a valuable meaningful type of way yeah um and i'm still trying to figure that out and and we're getting better at at doing that as a company um but if our mark is is you know showing sort of those older folks that don't understand that we are crushing it by hiring this this huge workforce and not poo-pooing an entire generation uh, <laughs> and doing it to, to a, a, a great degree of success, mm-hmm. that to me would be awesome. Outside of that, I'd have to probably spend a good long while thinking about how, what our greatest contribution is to... Yeah. <laughs> To, to this whole thing 
Cool. Uh, why Why did you choose um, Denver out of all the other cities? Um, I'm I'm originally from Chicago suburbs. Um, Ooh, nice. You yeah. Cubs fan? Yes. Nice. Absolutely. Yeah. Happy that they won. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> what, what Chicago Cubs fan was sad. <laughs> nah, man, that sucks. <laughs> no, uh, and I came out here in 2002 to go to school, and I went to school, graduated, and I stayed. And I'm incredibly fortunate to have stayed here and have known this city uh, back when it actually was a cow town. You know, people referred to it as Cowtown Denver. Really? Um, and that means it was just a little more, it was so much more podunk and small and, you know, slow. And it didn't feel like this sort of economic powerhouse that it is quickly becoming. Mm-hmm. And I've been here for 15 years and I've been able to watch this sort of just engine like churn quicker and quicker and quicker and now it seems like yeah i mean it's it's a it's a highly desirable crazy awesome place to live and i'm fortunate that we can operate a retail facing business here like yeah what a what a good climate to to run and operate a consumer facing business oh yeah um, it could be a lot worse so That's it's true. it's been helpful <laughs> <laughs> and fortunate so so fortunate so I, I have another question for you. Yeah. It, are you um, how are you guys like how are you guys connected with farms and are you connected to your to your farms and um, when when you go out to farms what do you look for? Yeah, so that that would be a question that you could probably have a whole separate podcast episode in talking to Kevin about. Okay. Um, Kevin's our like I mentioned our, our he's our head roaster and green coffee buyer. Um, he started with us in January of twenty. 13, I believe it was. And really, his, he came to us from counterculture. So okay. he was on the production side of counterculture. And, and when, he, when he interviewed at a bunch of spots out here, he wanted to find a, a place where he could really move into the world of green coffee um, and roasting. And we were amazingly fortunate and probably way overhired for us at that time and it felt very nerve-wracking to have somebody so like badass on staff <laughs> but he's really changed this company in uh, an immensely positive way um and he's come up with the term uh, that we use uh for a f- you know a, a percentage of our coffees that are relationship micro lots okay so um we're, we're a roasting company and we're a retail facing company. We aren't an importing company. That's never been something we've wanted to figure out. So, so we, we, we won't ever claim the term direct trade. We don't directly bring anything in ourselves. And a lot of that is economies of scale. We just, you know, currently don't buy that much coffee, so we can't bring in full containers, but there are, you know, we've built a handful of really great relationships with importers in the country who have been doing this, coffee importing thing for upwards of 25 years plus um and they've connected us to some amazing farms and farmers and we've had a really wonderful opportunity to connect with some coffees like in Colombia. um but kevin in particular spent i think it's a better part of two years in the lake atitlan or guatemala guatemala city area of guatemala um 
between those two, I think he was in Guatemala City for a little while and then Lake Atitlan. And he built up a relationship with a, uh, a farmer's co-op called Apro Cafe. And I think it was called something different at the time, but now it's called Apro Cafe. And um, since he started with us, his goal has been to have um, relationship connections to specific farmers in the Lake Atitlan region. So um, every year we'll release uh, a coffee called Atitlan El Grano, which is the macro lot uh, uh, consisting of a whole bunch of farmers pooling their coffees together, Mm. um, and and we'll get that coffee and release it. At a certain point during the year, we'll have at least three specific coffees from that region that are direct from a specific farmer. So we're, at one time, we were the only company in the country carrying these three farmers' coffees. It was like an incredibly, incredibly small micro lot of coffee, like six bags of coffee or something Dang. like that. Um, and through that work, we've been able to, you know, raise additional funds on top of, you know, paying for all the cost of actually selling the coffee to help them with um, capital projects in country. So most recently we helped provide them some um, some stuff that uh, helped their plants become a bit more uh, leaf rust resistant. So if you know anything about you know, there's a, a blight in the coffee growing community in uh, Central and South American uh, coffee growing areas that is called uh, leaf rust, and there's other terms and, and variations of that. Mm-hmm. But it's destroying a lot of farmers' uh, livelihoods. And so um, we helped this particular area purchase, um, it wasn't like a pesticide, I can't figure out the right word for it, but um, it was some deterrent that, that has helped them avoid getting leaf rust and this year we want to do raised beds for drying coffee um which which in turn produces more coffee which we can still buy which is great but now there are other roasters across the country who are starting to buy from these farmers as well so we've been you know direct or indirectly it's a little more directly but it's not like we're actually helping them grow more coffee but through what we've been able to do with them we've been able to help them grow their operations and you know Little by little, you know, live a better, you know, provide, you know, a better life for their families. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's the the best, uh, the the best relationship that we have and one that we're going to continue to develop for for the next however many years. Um, We have other less direct, but just as important relationships to um, uh, Burundi. And our, our friend Ben Carlson has a company called um, Long Miles Coffee Project. Okay. And, um, and they, they do a lot of great storytelling behind, you know, their practices, their farmers, their coffee. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've had a really great time working with them as well. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what would you like to see change in the coffee industry? Mm. If there is anything. <laughs> I think, and I think this will actually happen, I think there needs to be more collaboration and less, like, brandification. I feel like everybody is a little bit obsessed with, like, starting their own thing, and I know that's hypocritical because we started our own thing. (laughs) Uh, But in a lot of ways, uh, across the board, I, I see it going similar to the beer community. If you look at the craft beer community, they're immensely helpful to each other, even, like, you know, Blue Moon, which is owned by Miller Coors, um, 
you know, here in town, they, they, they're very helpful to small brewers. Mm-hmm. And it's more just collaborative, share knowledge, share information, drink each other's beer. Um, and, and Denver is becoming more of that. And in general, maybe the coffee community is becoming more of that. But I'd like to see more, like, yeah. more ways that, that we all can, can lift each other up instead of just competing directly with each other while the big guys like Starbucks and Stumptown and Telly, all those, you know, just continue to grow, grow, grow. And then all these little guys are just kind of taking each other out because we're unwilling to work together, you know, and, you know, maybe find, solve a problem that helps all of us get better, you know, maybe distribution or something like that. Um, Yeah. More collaboration would be tight. And, and I say that and I'm saying it directly back to myself because, (laughs) you know, I, I am among the community and there could be times where I could be more collaborative and helpful. So, yeah, I, I feel like one of, one of my favorite things about Denver and the Denver coffee scene is more, more than most cities I've, I've been to. Um, I feel like Denver is one of the most that's, that's not really as competitive Mm -hmm. as, as most places, you know, definitely going at each other's throats and stuff. I feel like the owners here uh, I've talked to, I mean, a few, a few, I mean, little, but big, but little guys. Yeah. (laughs) If that makes sense. Definitely. Um, Yeah. But I feel like they're just so connected to each other and they help each other out. They do. Right. And and maybe in some senses there, there are some things that that don't happen, but I feel like for, for me, I've, I've seen a lot of good community things throughout the Denver coffee scene. I think it's really cool. It's one of my favorite. Yeah. That's awesome. Scenes to come to. Yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's just an element of like, I'm in it that I, sometimes it's hard to take myself out of it and see kind of from like what you're saying, your perspective. So that's helpful to hear. That's awesome. Yeah. I like that. Cool. Red. Well, well, how, how can people like connect with you or see what you're doing? Me personally. Yeah. Well, my phone oh, no, number no, is Cedric. Well, all the obvious ways, um, huckleberryroasters.com or huckleberry.coffee or myroasters.com. I, I bought I'm an, a domain of file. I just buy domains because nice. I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> there was one point I, I ran a, like a, a software-ish company for a, a little while. And I had at one point a thousand domains that I owned, which what? was just like a That's stupid nuts. amount of domains. <laughs> and then I was like, "This is ridiculous! I need to get rid of uh, basically all of them." So I did. Yeah. yeah, it's not 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 cool. Anyway, side sidetrack. Uh, yeah, you can email us at info at huckleberryroasters.com. That's still Cohen and I still check that. So yeah, yeah I mean. Outside of all the typical ways, swing by our cafe up in Sunnyside, North Denver, and at the end of 2017, you can swing by our second location. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. You're opening up a second location. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm excited for that. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, yeah. It's it's terrifying and nerve-wracking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll, it'll be good. It, the location is great. It's a really good opportunity for us and our brand and... Yeah, it's a, it's gonna be a big year, I think, for Huckleberry. That's awesome. Yeah, and before we leave, um, describe kind of your coffees mm-hmm. that that you're um, that you've roasted right now, and kind of um, talk about the flavor profiles. Yeah, so um, currently we're we're kind of 
leaving a whole lot of African specific coffee. So we had at one point three coffees from Burundi, the Koling Ninga, uh, Gateway Natural, uh, the Gateway, the washed Gateway. Those were all from Burundi, Burundi, um, and we had uh, Ethiopian coffees. And now we're moving because we we rely heavily on the availability of fresh seasonal coffees. We kind of our lineup fluxes with seasonality of coffee. Now we're entering a bit more of the South American coffee. So we have a one that we're releasing, I think this week or next, called the Esperanza de Garçon mm. from Colombia. And that one's going to be more kind of on the classic chocolatey, a little bit of like a, you know, toasty, nutty sort of thing going on. Um, and it's one of, it, it fits in our sort of more approachable lineup. Yeah. Um, and, and our more adventurous kind of fruity complex coffees are are full with all those those africans that we have mm. um and then we're going to be actually releasing the atitlan el grano that i mentioned the yeah. uh, macro lot coffee from guatemala yeah, that's exciting. Um, that one would be also quite a bit more approachable on the approachable side of things yeah um yeah that's uh Otherwise, get, you can get the you know updated lineup on our website. We keep that very up to date. So cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on the Low Key Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. It's been yeah. fun. Really I'm gonna appreciate go it. party up in Denver and as well. Yeah. You probably will. I don't know. <laughs> good. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you well, later. All right, man. Thanks. Want to thank you guys again for listening to the Low Key Podcast. Want to thank Mark Mann with Huckleberry Coffee Roasters for being on the podcast now if you're ever in denver go to huckleberry and check out their space get a cup of coffee or maybe buy some beans they have a really cool atmosphere now go check them out on all their social mediums as well guys if you don't subscribe to us and you listen to this podcast subscribe to us on itunes and if you're a subscriber Rate and review us because it does help Loki out. Also, go check out our website. There's some cool stuff going to happen pretty soon. T-shirts and a vlog. So, guys, thanks again for listening to Loki. Keep it nice. Keep it easy. Keep it Loki. Thanks, guys, again.